Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. I want you to understand something about the Holy Spirit this morning. You are either the mission of the Holy Spirit or you are on mission with the Holy Spirit. There, there's no other, no other place to be. Either he, you are the object of His mission so that you'll begin to understand and experience the fullness of God or you are on mission with the Holy Spirit and He is imparting to you or He is sharing with you God's fullness in, in your life and in your ministry. This thing's not functioning for me. As hard as I push it. <laughs> what do we need to do? I'm going to need it. Is it the battery dead? All right, so you guys are going to have to f- figure this out prophetically then. <laughs> so why am I saying that? Well, because the Bible, the, the Bible really reveals who the Holy Spirit is. And I want, you to, I want you to understand who He is in relationship to the Father and the Son. So one way to look at it is He is the eternal personification of the love that flows between the eternal Father and the eternal Son. So forever, for all time, eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in community and in unity, but what, they, what the unity is and the experience is between the three of them is this unbelievable love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And the Spirit is the personification of that love. And so the Father and Son were not content that that love would only be shared between the three. So they sent the Holy Spirit into the world, into your life. As a matter of fact, you've been His mission your whole life. But it's not a mission to destroy you or to restrict you. It is a mission for you to realize that this love can be your love. That this experience of the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father can be your experience. He isn't some, in some way asking you to give up anything that has any worth. He's asking you to receive everything that has value. And all He asks of you is that you say yes. All He asks of you is that you give Him access. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, when a person expresses faith in Christ as their Savior and their, their Lord, the Bible says 33 supernatural things happen from at that moment. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. He forgives. He cleanses. He makes you a person in right standing with God. He does all of these things simply because you have said yes to Jesus and you have given Him access. Sometimes people will read the things that the Holy Spirit does, like it says, you must be born again. Or you read in Titus chapter 3 where it says, He has washed you with the, and He's regenerated you and He's cleansed you of all your sins. And they say, how can I make that happen? All you do is say yes. He does the work. He makes it happen. This is His mission to get you in the middle of the loving communion that the Father has for the Son, the Son for the Father. And He wants you to be in the inner circle of that communion and to live your entire life with the awareness and fullness and experience of the love that's going on between the Trinity. Now, for some reason, this, fifth, this fourth point that I have up here that I, I embolden for you has become one of the most important theological points I've ever seen in my life. And I want you to get it. The Spirit of Christ has united His own mission with the mission of Christ. And He chooses, with all that He is and everything that He has, He chooses to only serve the mission of Christ. Now, this is, this is what the Holy Spirit is utterly and completely committed to. Now, this is what this means. If your life is not aligned with the mission of Christ, then you will never know the fullness of God. Because He has, 
settled this issue for himself. The Spirit will empower the mission of Christ. The Spirit will provide for the mission of Christ, but the Spirit will not provide for anything outside. So let's, let's take this a step further, make it practical. You decide, oh, if I have this house, I will be happy. If I buy this house, this is my mission. And you pray, oh God, give me that house. And you want that house. And you say, oh, I need that house. And the Spirit says, no, that's not your mission. And I will not resource your mission. But you buy it anyway. You say, I don't care. I need that house. Guess what? You will get the house and you go, why did I get that house? Now I have this horrible mortgage on this house. Now I, I'm living in an area where I don't really like the people who are my neighbors. And everything around it will begin to go, this is not satisfying. Look, if your mission is the mission of you, then He cannot empower your mission. It has to be that you begin to line up and give access and identify that my mission is as united to the mission of Jesus as the, as the Holy Spirit has united His mission to Jesus. Now, He won't do otherwise. That's what His commitment is. I mean, it becomes even in personal relationships. I've seen people come up to me and they say, I have to have a husband. Or I have to have a wife. And they'll say, and this is the one I choose. Now, I know they're not a Christian. I know they're not committed to the Lord. But this is the one I love. This is the one I choose. I said, mm, not a good idea. Not a good idea. That's not the mission of Jesus. That's not the mission that He's going to resource. And they marry this person anyway because they don't care about the mission of Jesus. They care about the mission of me. And what happens six months later, they go, why did God let me marry that person? It's terrible. You know why? Because their souls can't connect. Their spirits can't connect. But you see, it's really because when your life is out of alignment with the mystery, mission of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit cannot empower your life. He will not resource another mission. He will unite only to the mission of Jesus. He will not unite to any other mission. So one of the things, if you really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you really want to flow in the Holy Spirit, you have to look at your life and say, where am I in alignment with the mission of Christ? It is such a, an amazing thing when you do this. See, you can be passionate about teaching. And you can look and say, I want to be a teacher. And, and if you take that passion and you align it with the mission of Jesus, He will supernaturally empower you to be a teacher. But if you just say, this is my passion, I'm going to do it in my own strength and in my own gifting, then you will have to teach in your own strength and in your own gifting, and it will never be satisfying. You were made to be on mission that requires supernatural empowerment. For example, if you are a teacher, then you have all the promises of God that, that He will back you up as it, in the mission of Jesus. For example... Even David says this way, you prepare a table bef before me in the presence of my enemy, I mean my students. <laughs> I was a teacher for many years. <laughs> the teachers are saying amen. But you see, if it is just you teaching, then you have to prepare the table. And it will seem like they're nothing but enemies. Because of the difficulties that we see in terms of molding and shaping and teaching and all of these things. The, true, the same truth could be about your business. You say, this is my business. It's here to protect my family. It's here to make a living for me. It's, made, it's here for the, for the sake of me. And God says, okay, go ahead. Make it work. But you'll do so without my help. And you may even find that because it's your idol, he has to oppose it because it says, you shall have no other gods before me. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how practical this becomes. We want supernatural blessing, but we don't want supernatural alignment. When we begin to see that even the passions in our life 
could be the work of the Holy Spirit, but they are not the work of the Holy Spirit if we do not align them to the mission of Jesus. Here is the thing if you are a believer. Mission and the mission of Jesus is the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit. But again, can you, can you please get in your mind with me? The mission is not simply to save people from hell. That's not the mission. The mission is for people to experience the love that the Trinity lives in. For them to come into that love and for that love to be supernatural, but natural to the believer. And so the, the heartbeat of the Spirit is to reveal that love and to make the appeal of that love so people can come to that love. If you're a believer, you now have two heartbeats. You're kind of like Doctor Who. You got two heartbeats going on every single minute of every day of your life. It's your heartbeat and his heartbeat. And the question is, have you synced your heart to his? Because if not, you have irregular rhythms. Because here's the thing, he will not sync his heartbeat to yours. Because his is the heartbeat of God. His is the heartbeat of love. His is the heartbeat of peace and joy and strength and all of the things that your heart longs to beat for. So you will have to sink your heart to his because he will not sink his heart to yours. Do you see that picture? I think this is beautiful. I understand that it will cost you because you will have to let some things go and you will have to say yes to some things you haven't said yes to. But in order for that to happen, you have to see what I'm showing you as clearly as I can. It is entering into the Trinitarian love. You will not lack for this. You will flourish in this. Well, what is supposed to happen is that that same Trinitarian love, that love that's going on in the circle of three, is now supposed to be a love that goes on in a circle local. There is a worldwide church, and the church of Jesus Christ is, is reaching every tongue, every tribe, every nation. There are some ways where the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is now much more powerful in other countries than the United States. There is, there is incredible movements of God going on in Asia and Africa and South America and all kinds of places because there is a desperation, there is a hunger that's going on and the love of God is meeting, the, the compassion of Jesus is meeting the needs of the people in powerful ways. But it was always supposed to be this way. Amen. You see, it wasn't supposed to be that we're just an organized, you know, fraternal meeting of the lions or the, the bears or the, the packers or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it was always supposed to be that the local church that Jesus loves and that the Spirit empowers is a church that begins to reflect and live in and encounter the same love that the Father has for the Son and the Son for the Father. It, it, it's not that there aren't programs. It's not that there aren't activities. But the activities are not primary. The primary is that when the local church comes together, you having so experienced that love in your heart, having been baptized in the love of God, that you then bring your baptism into community. I bring mine. We gather together and a fire of God's love begins to form and warm our hearts because we are together. This is the church that Jesus has longed to bring into every single community. It's not that there won't be organization. It's not that there won't be activity. But primarily, there's the fire of the love of God in our midst. And a love that is so very similar to, if not drawn from, the very love the Father has for the Son, the Son for the Father. So when we unite with that love, we're uniting with the mission of Jesus, not just to share that love with each other and have a genuine experience of that love, but then we begin to get as hungry for others to have that love as the Spirit is hungry for that love, as Jesus Himself is hungry. I mean, think about this. For all eternity, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit have lived in this perfect love. But to them, it wasn't perfect enough unless you join it. 
unless you're a part of it. Think about this once more with me. What did Jesus have after the cross that He didn't have before the cross? And Hebrews says, He went to the cross for the joy that He was going to have. So what He had after the cross that He didn't have before the cross was you. So here He is in perfect love with the Father, but even that wasn't perfect enough unless you join the circle. So the church, the real church locally, is the church that has joined our love to His love and who begin to recognize that the, the reason we exist is in a way that we become a theater in which Spirit-empowered speech and Spirit-empowered actions are put on display. So that the reality of the love that the Father and Son and Spirit share becomes a reality in us and we are publicly displaying by our words and by our actions that the love of the Father exists here in this church. That, that's the fire of the church. It's lovely when things are organized. It's lovely when they're done well. But if there is no fire, there's no reason for us to exist. Now, I think that I think all that I'm sharing with you is an invitation by the Holy Spirit for us to step into what will be and what's becoming more and more a spiritual void in our area. I believe that God is asking not just for me or the leadership to say we are, we are aligning our lives with the mission of the Holy Spirit. I think the Lord is asking every single one of you who are here today, I think today you're here because you're intersecting with the will of God for your life. And that he is calling you to so experience his love and so experience his power that your words and your actions begin to reflect that you are spirit-filled, that you are spirit-equipped, and that you are united in your life the way the spirit is. You are united in your life to the mission of Jesus. Now, you cannot live in this area. You can't even live in your own family and not see the needs. There's dysfunction all around us. There's all kind of trouble in, in people that we love and care for. And here's what I've learned. You're just as broken as they are. Amen. And when you try to fix them, you make it worse. Because you are a terrible Savior. I mean, you think, if I just say this, this will make it all better and it gets a whole lot worse and escalates it. Or you say, I'm not going to say anything, I'm just going to let it happen, but inside you're dying because you see how hard it is for them or how bad it is for them, and you can't do anything about it. Here's the thing. If we live as a people with sympathy, if we live as a people who have an understanding and awareness and have a passion about how hard other people's lives are, we will either become cynics or skeptics or we will so enable and be so codependent and so in the muck ourselves that, that, that we won't be helped. We'll actually be dragged down with it. What this is talking about is that you don't need to be the Savior. What this is talking about is those needs are a reality. But what you need is to un unite yourself to the mission of the Spirit, to allow yes to the Spirit, to allow access to the Spirit, and instead of your words trying to heal the situation or fix the situation, His words will come and His actions will come and He can do in a minute what you can't do in a lifetime. But we will need to be that kind of love-centered, prophetic community where the supernatural is natural, not unnatural. <laughs> I'll give you a couple of examples of this. I, I, I spoke this week at a wonderful conference in Guatemala. So I was in Guatemala all week, and I came back yesterday you know, to get back for the Saturday night service. And I'm flying the plane, and I have this long flight. I don't, I don't care where I go, I get crying, crazy children around me. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm sitting next to this, this little mom, you know, real small little mom, and this cute little brat of a kid. And uh, I mean, this kid is horrible, horrible. I mean, just, just, just horrendous the entire flight, six hours of this kid. 
And the mom knows this kid's terrible. I mean, he's like, he's doing all this stuff to the mom. He's saying all this stuff. He's making a mess all over the place. And so I'm watching her get angry with him. And instead of healing and help coming, she punched him. (laughs) She punched him 10 times. 10 different times I'm talking about. She punched this kid. I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. (laughs) And I'm watching him like, that mom loves this boy. I could see she loved him. She cared about him. She, she was worried about his situation, but her, her fix actually made it worse, not better. So instead of learning to behave properly, he learned violence is coming. You know, and there was no, there was no, lo- there was no love in the actions. Yeah, she loved that child. She had sympathy for that child, but she took her own resources and she tried to, to destroy that kid. <laughs> I was thinking the same, actually, but uh, I was like, oh, why do you have to sit by me? Oh, God. I, I mean, I, it's just so, it's so illustrative. We have these problems. We want to fix them, but the way we fix them actually not only makes problems for today, but problems for tomorrow. And what we need, whether it's a parent of a lovely child, or uh, whether it's dealing with your friends or your work or whatever it is, is you need solutions that come from heaven. That will only happen if you give the Spirit access. And a lot of us are very afraid of this. We're afraid of the fire of God's love. We're afraid of the supernatural. One day, uh, many years ago, we were asked to come and pray over a church. We took, it it was a declining church. It was down to 12 people. And uh, they had a sanctuary. It wasn't very big. And so we went to the sanctuary just to, to pray, to praise, to listen to the Lord for this church. And one of the intercessors was praying at the pulpit. They had a pulpit. He was praying at the pulpit and reached into the pulpit and found a fire extinguisher. And the intercessor said, the Lord is speaking through this. Because every time the fire of God starts in this church, in the pulpit, there's a fire extinguisher to make sure that no fire, actually the fire of God ever happens. Now, it may look like they're going after literal fire, but really and truly, this is about not having any fire. And then we looked around, they actually had four more fire extinguishers in a room half the size. So they had five fire extinguishers, and the Lord spoke to us and said, this church was really afraid of fire. See, there are a lot of people who are afraid of this kind of love. They're afraid of this kind of access. They're afraid of this kind of directness of the Spirit working in our midst. They're afraid that there will be a false fire, a counterfeit fire. See, but the problem is, if you're so afraid, you have no fire. One of my friends was asked to go speak on the Holy Spirit. And the pastor said, make sure that everything you bring is, is, is genuine. We don't want any of this counterfeit stuff. And my friend says, you already have the counterfeit. And he was upset. He said, what do you mean? Well, you have a spirit of control. And so the spirit of control will always keep the spirit from moving in your midst. So you already have the counterfeit. Are you willing to let the counterfeit go? And to this day, I don't believe that that particular person has let the counterfeit go. Look, there is danger here. There is danger, but we were always supposed to be a dangerous church. You're supposed to be dangerous to the spirit of darkness. You're supposed to be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. They should fear you far more than than you ever fear them. So there has to be a little risk here, a little danger, all right? Because what we need is we need the real fire of the love of God that flows from the throne. That's why we need these continuous encounters with the Holy Spirit. Not just one time and, oh, I, you know, I got baptized in the Spirit back in 1945 and pretty much held with me for all those years kind of thing. No, come on. It has to be continuous. Even like manna had to be eaten every day. It has to be gathered every day. Be, be filled, keep on being filled is what the scripture says. But why is that so important? Well, because you see, empowering encounters with the Holy Spirit will then manifest in power 
in what the Bible calls prophetic activity. Now, what I mean by prophetic activity is not so much future telling. That might happen, but that's not the primary basis of the prophetic in the New Testament. The primary basis is so that when you speak, you're speaking on behalf of God. Because you've heard from God, you speak for God. Because you know what God is asking you to do, you do what He asks. And, and, and as you do that, you will see what God can do instead of what you do. I was given a, a task one time of, of going to a country in Africa and leading a prayer summit for 400 pastors. And as I was leaving, someone told me this. Make sure you don't talk about sexual immorality to the pastors. I'm like, what else is there to talk about then? Because if that's the open door that Satan has, then it doesn't matter what else we talk about. But I also knew I couldn't talk about it in my own strength. Because it could be like scolding. It could sound like I'm better than they are. It could sound all kinds of things. So it had to be that the Spirit would speak prophetically to me and I would speak on His behalf. So here's what happened. I began to pray with numerous ones of these pastors. And the Spirit would give me clarity about what the basis of their immorality was. Not the immorality was the symptom. The emotional need was the base. And I, I had a picture. I, when I was a kid, we used to play pickup sticks. Some people, you know, we couldn't afford Jenga, so we did pickup <laughs> sticks. But the idea is the same, is you're trying to take a stick out and not make the whole structure fall down. In spiritual warfare, you're trying to look for the stick that will make the whole structure fall down. And so every single man that I prayed for, and it was all men, every single one of them, the Lord showed me what the foundation was the enemy had that led to spiritual immorality. And every one of those men confessed their sins, dealt with their sins, went to their supervisors, and it was the most incredible revival that I've ever seen. And the manifestation of the Holy Spirit afterwards they were telling me, they said, we had this about 20 years ago, but we lost it. And now the Spirit is moving, and we are revived. And they went back, and they saw all these tribes coming to Christ. These were all national leaders. These weren't missionaries. They were national pastors and leaders. And God did a move so powerful. But it all began not because I knew what to say. It all began because the Spirit knew what the issue really was, and I knew the symptom, but he knew the root. And so we dealt with the root, and they got freedom. You cannot do that in your own strength, in your own power. You can only do that as the Spirit moves on you. So here's what I'm asking of you as a people of God on mission with the Spirit is you've got to have empowering encounters with God's Holy Spirit. And then you'll know it's an empowering encounter because you know what to say. And then what you say actually has results. It has effect. It has meaningful impact in the life of the person that you speak to. And the actions that you take will be actions that are led by His Spirit instead of just actions that are led by your compassion or by your sympathy or whatever it is. Because if you stay in your own strength and sympathy, you will eventually become a skeptic. Because no matter how much you hurt, you can't change what you're hurting about. You have to have His Word, His power, and then act on it. God, through His Spirit, is calling you to unite your life to His mission. And then He wants to speak His words and do His mighty works through you. Look, it's easy. It's easy to get a detour in this. It's easy to think, okay, you know, I will someday do this. Instead of saying, no, today is the day. Look, I'm not saying this is an easy thing at all. My first period of time when I started to really listen to the Spirit was back in the early 90s. 
And because of some of the teaching that I was doing on spiritual warfare and because some of the people that were getting set free and all the things that were happening, I was no longer welcome in the Presbyterian church. And even though I had, I had planted the church myself and Lisa and I had, had been bivocational to get the church up and going, when the decision was made, they, they cut me off and they ended my salary and I had no money and no place to go and I had a mortgage and two kids. And I went to the Lord at, at, at that point and I said, Lord, what do I do? And I heard as clear as a bell. I mean, I can see, my, I can see me sitting on the bed right now praying. And I heard the voice of the Lord in my head. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was clear in my head. I want you to trust me. I will take care of you. I couldn't do it. I wasn't there. I, I admit to you, I confess to you, I'm like, thanks, Lord, but I'm going to go get a job. And I went and got a job in a school system, teaching school. I eventually became a, uh, like an assistant principal in the side school. And I will tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, I took a four-year detour from what he had asked me to do. Now, God is so good that even in our detours, I learned a lot. I lived, uh, I, I did ministry in a secular environment. I did many, many marriages. I did perform weddings. I did funerals. I did counseling. I saw many of the other teachers come to Christ. I was a positive influence in the schools where I was. I was planting a church while I was doing the school stuff. But you know what happened? I lost my, I lost five years with my son. But I was never home. I lost five years of intimacy with Lisa because I never had any energy to be a husband. Um, I wasn't really around for my daughter in those years. There were so many things that I lost because I didn't trust the Lord. You know what he did? This is what I've learned from him. When you go on the detour, you don't get to go forward. You go right back to where you left the path. And as much as I wanted to say, I've advanced, I was right back to, now will you trust me? Now will you trust me? And I can just say to you, he didn't, he didn't waste my detour. He redeemed it. But it was definitely a detour. And I'm trying to say to you today, some of you are on a detour. Some of you are thinking about a detour. And I'm asking you today to go back to where you left the path. Because you are made to be empowered by his spirit to speak his words and to do the things he has for you. He will not bless your mess. I'm a poet. So there's an example in, in the Bible that I want you to see of how much every one of us needs his empowering work. So here's Moses. And the Bible says Moses is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. But he completely burned out. He, he got to the point of total stress and, and he was completely fried as an individual. And so what we, what we see it, when this happens is God speaks to Moses and says, Pick 70 elders or 70 overseers who would begin to share the leadership load with them. And the plan was that these 70 would come together with Moses in the tabernacle. And then God would allow them to share in the same spiritual anointing that had thus far rested on Moses alone. Here's the scripture. It says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with Moses. And he took of the spirit that was on Moses and he put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Notice what I said. Empowering work becomes empowered speech. Come on, this is pretty good stuff. And some of you are just kind of, all right, two of you. That's good. I'm glad. All right, so there were two men, and they didn't come to the tent of meeting, but they were listed among the 70, and the Scripture says, the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camps. Spirit empowerment, spirit speech. Say it out loud with me just so I know you're still alive. Spirit empowerment, spirit speech. All right. So let, think through this one with me. One, these were average men. There's nothing about them that makes them more important than anybody else. But when the Holy Spirit anointed them as judges with Moses, every one of them prophesied, even the two absent ones. And it was so apparent that this was the spirit that had been on Moses that Joshua got upset. And he said, Moses, make those two stop. Now, look, I love the Bible because these are real people. 
I mean, here's the great Joshua. He has a book named after him. All right? And yet, he is jealous because Moses is losing his popularity, his place, and now having to share it with 70 others and two of them who can't even show up to church. You know? And so he's upset. Now, he seems like he's upset for Moses. I think he's upset for Joshua. Because if Moses isn't so lifted up, then Joshua isn't so lifted up. Because Joshua is the mentee to the mentor, and he's got the borrowed glory of the, uh, of the leader, and now the leader is sharing his power with 70 other people. And then Moses is provoked by Joshua's words, and we get the will of God spoken by Moses. He says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. Now, this may scare you, but he's speaking about you. He's speaking about you. The Bible says you have, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in greater measure than Moses did. But even more than that, and I, I wish I could get you to be as excited about this as I am. Because theologically, this just blows my mind. Somehow the spirit grew. Somehow the spirit developed. I don't get that exactly. But the Holy Spirit that Moses received had not yet incarnated Christ. The Holy Spirit that Moses received had not yet empowered Christ for miracle signs and wonders and perfect obedient living. That Holy Spirit that empowered Moses had not empowered Jesus to go to the cross nor had he put all the sin of the world on Jesus yet on the cross, nor did he raise him from the dead even after he had been on the cross, nor did, is that the Spirit who ascended into heaven with Jesus and then was sent back to earth at Pentecost. You have that Spirit. Moses never had that Spirit. You don't have a lesser Spirit. You have a greater Spirit than Moses had. You have the same spirit that did all that for Jesus in Jesus because Jesus did his entire ministry as a spirit-filled human, not as the fully son of God that he is. He did it as a fully equipped, spirit-filled human being. And he said, the things I do, you will do and greater things than these. So I say this often. I know it's probably too much, but... If you are the most vile person in this room, which I'm looking around, <laughs> or you're the most sinful in this room, or you're the, most, you know, you're the weakest in this room, or whatever it might be, the only thing that matters is your union to the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Because all of us are broken. All of us are bankrupt. Spirit doesn't look for good people. Spirit looks for broken people. And he's asking that you would learn to think, speak, and act prophetically. And why is that, why is that important? Well, because from the beginning of your life in Christ, it was supernatural. The Spirit comes upon you all through your Christian life so that you can act and speak for God. But it begins right at the beginning. This is why Christianity cannot simply be a morality, a behavior modification, or any such thing. Is because you are birthed prophetically. You are supernaturally given status. You are born of God prophetically. You are given a new identity that is prophetically spoken to you in your new birth. And your status is immediately supernaturally guaranteed and legally taken care of. The Spirit of God comes on every child of God and the result is that they cry out. In Galatians, it says, here, here is the experience within you when you said yes to Jesus, when you say, yes, I will give you access into my life for your forgiveness, for your love, for your presence. When, that, when you say yes and give him access, then the, the Galatians says the spirit of adoption comes in to your life and the spirit cries, Abba, Father, for you. You are prophetically made a child. But in Romans 8, it says you also respond prophetically. 
So the, the beginning of the spiritual life is a prophetic beginning. Look at it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, I want to make this, this is incredibly practical if you'll stay with me on this. Every human being wants self-esteem. Self-esteem is one of the most important needs that everybody has. But the issue is all of us are insecure. And insecurity at its root is fear. So here it's saying that even those who seem to have self-esteem actually are just covering up their insecurity because what's behind the fear in their life is a spirit of slavery. It's not mere psychology, it's spiritual. There is a spirit of slavery that produces fear, that makes you insecure, makes you wonder, am I pretty enough? Am I handsome enough? Am I strong enough? Am I rich enough? Am I gifted enough? Will I be enough? And the truth is, even if you start answering yes to those questions, life can hit you in such ways that the no comes just as quick. And here it says that this is a spiritual issue, not just a psychological issue. It's not merely a relationship issue. But the relationship that changes everything, it says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. In other words, he prophetically cries in your spirit, you are a child who can say, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is my Father. So he comes in and he supernaturally gives you a status that cannot be changed, an esteem that nobody in the world can give you. And then he says prophetically, this is your identity. And then you see, your first reaction as a new child of God is also a prophetic reaction. Your spirit cries, look it says, by whom we cry. It's not just His Spirit speaking prophetically, but now your spirit is speaking prophetically. You're saying He's my Father. You're saying He's Daddy. And do you understand how counterintuitive that is? You are now, by the birthing of the Holy Spirit, by the prophetic work of the Holy Spirit, whether you now quietly or dramatically have realized the realization is a prophetic realization. I'm a child of God. It's a prophetic realization. Why are we so afraid of the prophetic when we are birthed in the prophetic? I mean, I'm not asking you tomorrow to go get a business card saying Prophet David or Prophet... That's just stupid. I'm asking you to live in it. You don't need a title. People come and say, I'm a prophet. I'm like, get away from me. Prove it. You know, it's not a position. Nobody, hardly anybody pays pat profits anything, okay? But you want to live in it. You don't, want the, you don't want the honor of it. You want, you want the reality of it. Am I making sense to you? You understand, I know I'm taking a risk talking about this. But I'm going to tell you, we are going to do everything we can and will do everything to make sure that we see the true prophetic, not the false prophetic. That we have the real fire, not the false fire. But we are not going to live with no fire. Think through this with me, all right? So in that passage, it says sonship is conveyed. Will you listen to me on this? I stayed using the word sonship for this reason. When you come to Jesus Christ, whether you are male or female, whether you are rich or poor, whether you come from one culture or another, one race or another, it does not matter. Your status is now established that you are the same status as the very Son of God. We are not equal at the lowest denominator, friends. We are equal at the highest throne of glory. Whether you, are, whether you are a male or a female, you have all the rights and privileges, all the identity and status as the firstborn son of God. So I leave it at sonship, not because I'm trying to exclude any 
body from this book so that you will know you have now been included at the highest status that can possibly be given to you, which is the status of union with Christ. So therefore, the way we treat one another should be so radically different. I mean, when you see someone who is in Christ, you go, you are, you are as righteous as Christ. You are as loved as Christ. You are as important as Christ. And when we mistreat one another, we're mistreating ourselves. Because when I can't love you and honor you and be... you know, lift you up, it's because I don't have the love or the honor to lift myself up. And I'm trying to take it from you to get it from me. But when I get this, I've been prophetically birthed as a child of God. I have been given a status. Think about this with me. Adoption is amazing. Adoption means the status cannot be reversed. Adoption is amazing because it means you chose these children. They didn't just come to you. You knew exactly what you were getting into when you adopted them. And you gave them everything you are and everything you have is now theirs. And then it's confirmed, you see. It's not just you deciding, I'm going to be a little better person. It's you confirming and saying, the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ is my Father. And the reason that's so important that you get that is because that's not intuitive that you would say that. Because there's nothing in your life that says, man, I look like God. (laughs) But when the Spirit does this, He changes your DNA so that Christ is being formed in you. Your spiritual DNA is now eternally linked with the Father's DNA. So much so that Peter says, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Why am I pushing this so hard? I said, because if you began this way, if your whole relationship with God began prophetically, then why shouldn't it flow prophetically for every day of your life? The spirit he has given you is not a mute spirit. He is a talking, acting, living spirit. He communicates. As a matter of fact, I want you to remember today that every single minute of every day, his heartbeat is beating in you. You need to sink your heartbeat to his. That's where life and joy and peace and purpose and fulfillment are found. There will be no fullness without fulfillment of your heart beating after his heart. And the spirit of Christ beats after the mission of Christ. So will you stand with me? There's two things I'd like for you to do as we close. The first is really a simple one. It's not easy, but simple. You started this relationship with yes and giving him access. Wherever you are in the journey, you're here today because he's saying, will you give me your yes? And will you give me access? Because I know this about you, and and it's not that hard to to see. The fullness of the love that the Son and the Father share is not fully realized in you yet. So the Spirit still has a mission within you to form you in such a way that He can fill you with the same love that fills the Son and the Father. But you have to give Him access. If you're not giving him access, then you're only allowing the love to trickle in when it could gush in. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. That's who you were made to be. But you have to say yes. It's not you doing, it's you receiving. I mean, if you want a little bit of a rhyme there, it's not achieved, it's received. The second thing, is there really maybe some places where you've tried to get God on mission with you? Or you just have forgotten about it, and you're just doing, you're doing your work, you're doing your job, you're surviving, you're paying your bills, you're doing whatever you're doing, but you're not thinking in terms of how you are here to be united to the mission of Jesus. And you're not looking at your job or your family or whatever it is and saying, I can hear from God for this. Because he has a plan, he has a purpose for this. 
So I'm asking you, anywhere that you're out of alignment, would you be willing to, one, offer it to God and ask Him what to do with it? If you've been on a detour, like I was, it may be time to come home. Come back to the union. Come back to the path. So would you, just as practice, it may not be where you're at yet, but would you say these prayer words with me? Holy Spirit, I give you my yes. Empower my words. Empower my actions. So that my life is a theater that shows the world the love of the Father the love of the Son and the fullness of the Spirit. I give you access. Say it again. I give you access. Wherever I am not united, wherever our hearts are not in sync, I give you access. I'm not asking you to let go of things that in a way you you know in a way you say well this is my life I can't let this go I'm asking you to let go so that you can actually have your life I'm asking you to let go so that the love that you were made for actually becomes your experience whether it was dramatic when you came to Jesus or whether it was quiet it doesn't matter it was prophetic his spirit cried prophetically in your spirit And then your spirit in response cried prophetically to the Father, you're my daddy. The Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is my Father. Don't let that be the only experience that you have for the rest of your life. That's the beginning of us, of you being a a part of a prophetic community. Friends, The vision I have today is that we will be a place where all of these people who are moved by the Spirit will come together and it will be a reality of the the love of the Trinity in our midst. Every culture, every race, every tribe, every tongue coming because they're drawn to the fire of His love. I think this whole area of New York needs this. I think New Jersey needs this. And we don't just need to be slick and professional. We need that experience of His love. And then we want everybody we know to experience it. So as you leave today, are you the mission? Or are you on mission with the Holy Spirit? I seal this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here.